Welcome to the We Are Randolph Shepherd podcast. I think this is episode number 20. Uh, Josh and Nikki aren't with me this morning as I record this, so they can't correct me if I'm wrong. So we will just go with number 20. Either way, it drops on October 1. That much we do know. As we've started doing, this episode is devoted to the Blitz. Uh, the Blitz is our quarterly update on all things Randolph Shepard, and we do it uh, every three months. I was anxious to see what kind of feedback we would get when we did this last time, and the feedback was was very, very positive. So we're going to continue that for the foreseeable future. So our next Blitz will be uh, the January uh, episode. So uh, it it really feels odd to be be recording this podcast without uh, Nikki. Uh, Nikki is, um, you know, he 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 doesn't have to do the blitz section, but um, you know, even if, even if he was scheduled to be here, I don't know if he would have made it. You've been watching on the news uh, all the flooding that's been going on in New York, and Nikki is dealing with flooding issues, and we wish him the very best in in, in dealing with that. He's had a Tough go up there uh, of late, but uh, good luck with all all of that, uh, Nikki. Before we go any further, let's thank our sponsors. We couldn't do this without them. Our sponsors are the National Association of Blind Merchants, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Sodexo, You Select It, Southern Food Service, Tyler Technologies, Anderson Food Service, RSA Management Group, and Sightline Wealth Management. Now, Sightline is our newest sponsor. For those of you who don't know, that is Michael Talley's company. I know many of you know that name. Michael Talley is a blind vendor in Alabama, and uh, he has uh, greatly reduced his Randolph Shepard activities, although he's still very active in the chair and all that good stuff. But he started this uh, wealth management company, wants to help a lot of blind vendors make a lot of money. He's been very successful. And so reach out to Michael or get in touch with me and I can put you in touch with Michael and he can talk with you about, uh, about his, uh, program. Um, this is September the 30th was, as I sit here and record this, it is Saturday morning. I got home from blast on the boardwalk about 10 hours ago. So, uh, and more on blast and a little bit later, I keep getting notices. Is, is the government going to shut down or not? So by the time we finish this podcast, we still won't know. But in the next 12 hours or so, we will know whether the government is shut down. Hope not. Uh, our guys on federal property can't seem to catch a break. You know, you have pandemic and then shutdowns, but hopefully they will get it worked out so our federal workers can continue to be in the buildings. But uh, we will see. A couple of things before we get started on the news. I, I was asked several times this week about my no fries, my no French fry pledge for the month of September, and how did I do it? And so I got a report out, that, and, and you guys helped me out here. I don't, I don't know if I, if, if it was a success or not. You, you guys can be the judge. So I did not order any French fries all month, and I had lots of opportunities to do it. But let me tell you what did happen. I went to Chick-fil-A and I got the chicken strips, which are my favorite. I love the chicken strips at Chick-fil-A, but I was a good boy and I ordered fruit as my side as opposed to waffle fries. And you know, those waffle fries at Chick-fil-A, they are to die for. I love those waffle fries. Um, so we, I ordered my chicken strips and my fruit, got my bag, left, opened my bag and there were waffle fries instead of fruit. So there I was with a dilemma. I uh, had the waffle fries and no side if I didn't eat the waffle fries. So my wife ate a few of them. I ate a few of them. I didn't eat all of them. So I, so, you know, I, I couldn't decide whether, you know, it wasn't my fault. Okay. I did not order the fries. So you can't blame me for that. Uh, so, and technically, technically, if you look at the definition of a French fry, a waffle fry does not qualify. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say I've made it successfully the whole month of September uh, without the French fries, but uh, you can be the judge of that. So, uh, so you, you, I, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep on trying, keep on trying. I think I ended up losing four pounds in September. That's not bad. So, um, 
the, the other good thing about Nikki not being here, or, or not the other good thing, the only good thing about Nikki not being here is that in September, his Florida Gators thumped my Tennessee Vols. And I would have taken, uh, I know I'd have, I would have taken some harassment from him about that, chop, chop. Um, but um, since he's not here, by the time he comes back for our November podcast, that'll be old news. And we won't even uh, get to talk about that. It'll be old news. So he missed his opportunity to talk about the, uh, how his Gators whipped up my Tennessee volunteers. So let's get on into the news, all the news that is the news as it relates to Randolph Shepard, and, and, and first talk about where we've been. We've been really busy since the last episode of The Blitz. Nikki and I went to St. Louis for the Blinded Veterans Association meeting and really had a good trip there and made some contacts and 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 and, and had some success there and in creating some interest. Uh, we spoke at the breakfast and 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 really had a had had a great response to to our presentation. And we were very pleased with that meeting. We have tried to reach out to them in the past, uh, especially on some legislative issues. And I think there's an opportunity here for us to recruit blinded veterans into the program, which we desperately need, uh, and also maybe to team with them on some uh, legislative initiatives that, that are in, of interest to our folks. So um, we're, we're, we're very optimistic of that. The other thing we did in September was the leadership training. We had not done a leadership training since uh before the pandemic and so we brought it back uh, and uh, we had we tried to do 12 to 15 students and uh, we had 27 applicants and Nikki and Michael Coburn and Ed Birmingham sort of trimmed that list down to 16 and we had one cancellation at the last minute but we had 15 vendors from 11 states who attended two days of training and we had a great time with that training, had some great outside speakers who talked about leadership, had some speakers who talked about uh, you know, communication and public speaking. We dealt with some blindness issues, heard from uh, some committee chairs. So it was a really, really good um, uh, two days uh, of training. And uh, it, it, it was great to be back doing that. We have several people who did not make this class, and so there's a possibility NABM will be doing that again in 2024. I don't think a final decision has been made on that, but if it is, uh, I would encourage anybody to apply and, and, and try to take advantage of that training. The other big thing we did in September was the Tennessee Annual Training Conference. We contract, uh, we, I say we, NABM contracts with uh, the state of Tennessee to do their annual conference. And we do everything from getting the hotel, paying the bills is all the Tennessee people have to do is basically show up. Although we do work with them in planning the agenda, of course, and uh, had a great, great meeting uh, in, in, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, it's a two day training session, uh, really good feedback on that. Uh, and, and, Tennessee has been the only state that we've contracted to do their annual training conference, but now Mississippi is coming up and we're going to be doing their training conference for them in October. And we've got a third state that if they can figure out the procurement issues in their state, uh, we may be doing their training in 2024. I think um, they came to the Tennessee meeting to see how we do things and they were blown away and, and they know that they could never put together anything like that. So they are interested in contracting with us. So we're we're anxious to get started to see if we can do work with that state as well. Uh, the, of course, the biggie in September was, which I just mentioned a minute ago, is the blast on the boardwalk 2.0 in Atlantic City. And wow, what a what an event that was! And and I'll have more on that um, in a minute. We participated in a bunch of state meetings. I know I was in Arizona. I don't recommend it in July, but I was there in July for the Arizona Annual Training Conference. Uh, did a, a day of training in Delaware. I was also in Pennsylvania and, and presented uh, virtually to the to the vendors in Connecticut. Uh, Nikki Gakos and, and Ed Birmingham went to Florida for, for their annual training conference. And Michael Coburn, who's the other vice president, Ed is the first vice president, Michael Coburn is second vice president, 
But Mike was in Oklahoma and Michigan, and we got really good feedback. I think he did a great job there uh, representing the merchants and providing them updates and training on what was going on around the country. Uh, we had a whole contingent in Indiana. I think we had Nikki there and Mike Coburn and, and, and Deanna Jones was there as well. Uh, representing NABM. So uh, if you want to know what it takes to be to get three folks to your state, you have to be as sweet as Pam Schnur. Uh, she's a sweetheart up there. And uh, so we are were well represented uh, in Indiana and provided some really good update and training there. Coming up um, in the in the in the fall, uh, we've got Mississippi, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina, Alabama, Kentucky, Texas, and California are all in-person meetings that we will be attending. Uh, Iowa and Oregon have virtual meetings that we will be uh, presenting at. So it's going to be a really, really busy fall. I remind you, if you are one of the 43 states that subscribe to our services and you are having annual training conferences and you want a presentation uh, on, on either a national update or a training on a specific topic, get in touch with Nikki Gakos and he can um, uh, arrange to have a speaker there. I have to mention the great convention that the National Federation for the Blind had in Houston, Texas in, in, in July. We had over 2,300 people there. Uh, the merchants had a had a half day meeting, did a couple of hours of training and then conducted business. Welcome two new board members to to the NABM board. Uh, it was Virgil Stennett from Hawaii and uh, Jimmy Cunningham from Virginia. So we're really happy that that they are on board. One of the highlights of the convention probably came actually after the convention was over. And that was when President uh, Mark Riccobono got to throw out the first pitch uh, at one of the Houston Astro games. And that was that was quite an honor. And uh, it's the second time he's got to do that. He did it at an Orioles game in 2018. So uh, congratulations to President Riccobono for that, uh, for that honor. And uh, we were we were happy for him for that. Um I mentioned BLAST, and um, I'll talk a little bit about what went on there. You know, that was held in conjunction with the Vistar Northeast Buying Show. And, uh, man, wow, do they know how to put on a show up there. It was held at the uh, Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, and they had 170 booths or thereabouts. Just really some, uh, you know, outstanding products and some new equipment focus more on products than equipment but, but there was uh there were some machines that were that that were there um it was sort of funny you've heard me mention my love for the uptime drink and um and i have a reputation for for for, for drinking that all the time and uh we met the uptime folks at nama in um in in atlanta so I was late sort of getting to the show and was taking my time. And I got to the uptime uh, booth and they said, oh, you're the guy that so that loves uptime so much. And, and other they, they said other vendors had already been there. The blind entrepreneurs had been to their booth and told them about me and how much I promoted. So I got to meet Hannah Steiner there uh, with um, um, with uptime. And uh, she offered me to bring back you know cases of. Uh, of drink with me, but I was flying and I didn't get to do that, but uh, it, was good to, it was great to get to meet them. A couple of pieces of equipment. We've talked about both of these, um, you know, after the NAMA show, the Just Bake machine, uh, you know, that's got so much potential, uh, you know, a machine that will actually, you know, prepare hot foods for, uh, for your customers. I would really encourage you to uh, to, to take a look at that piece of equipment and, you know, they can't get out to every show, but, uh, or to every state to show this equipment, but, um, you know, we have them in Tennessee and if there's any way that, that, that you can sort of take a look at that piece of equipment, I think it, there's a lot of applications, 
for for that for that uh, machine. So 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 reach out, and uh, it's just baked, and and Nikki can get you in touch with them, or I can get you in touch with them. Really, a great piece of equipment. And another piece of amazing equipment was the from Autonomous Retail, that, and we had talked uh, after NAMA. I think we told you about the thing that the thing that I was most impressed with was the sort of it was a sort of an Amazon style store where you walk in and, you know, you scan your credit card and you go in and if you, and, and you, whatever you pick up, uh, that's what your credit card is charged for. Um, and, and, and they have the whole store that you can put in with the shelving, the coolers and everything. And, uh, I think it's about a hundred thousand dollars, which is really not that expensive compared to if you're going to put in a bunch of vending machines, you're going to spend close to that anyway. So the price is really, really reasonable, but now they also are selling the coolers that, um, are, uh, it's a two door cooler. And it's the same concept. You scan the, you scan the, uh, you put your credit card in or scan your card or use an app and you open the door and whatever you pick up, you get charged for. But the thing that makes this machine so uh, special is that when you reach in and you just touch a product and you touch it and it will tell you what it is, it will say 20 ounce Pepsi, $3. Uh, which is really quite remarkable. Uh, so you know, certainly with with our population, the voice component is is, is very important. But forget the voice part; it's just a it's just a great piece of equipment to sell product, and um, you know, and it's and it too, it's not all that expensive. I think you can probably get the two coolers with the kiosk and everything that goes with it you know, for you know twelve thousand dollars or so. And uh, there are lots and lots of applications for that. The machine is so smart that if you take a product out uh, and you put it back in the wrong place, it will tell you you've put it back in the wrong place and instruct you to put it in the right place. And uh, or if you put it back, if you take it out, it charges you the the price. If you put it back, it takes it off your card. So uh, just really a, a great piece of equipment. And um, I would encourage you to to look into that. I wish we had uh, more states that were really serious about it because uh, I think it's got so much potential for our program, both the coolers standalone and the the entire uh, market. I will say this: um, you know, the lure of the casino at, at, at these conferences can 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 be very very great. And uh, but I, I was really proud of our folks. Uh, you know, our folks hung in there. We did two days of training on Wednesday and Thursday before the show opened up on um, late Thursday afternoon and then all day Friday or half day Friday. And our folks stuck with us. They attended the meetings and and, and got a lot out of it. Um, and then um, I, th- I think the last night, several went to the casino. I, I made my first trip to the casino that night and it was a very profitable trip for me uh, at the roulette table, which I've never played. And, um, so I had a, had a good time there. We had some big time winners. I won't, I won't tell you who and how much, but there were some big time winners because nobody was telling me coming up and telling me, well, I lost $5,000 or anything like that. But the ones that won certainly were telling me about it. So, uh, congratulations to all the winners and, uh, congratulations on a great conference. I'm going to sort of update you on different things that is, a, a, a as, as, as we go through sort of the the agenda at, at, at blast and, and sort of hit the topics that that'll be, that'll sort of serve in, in the way of an update. We did a pre-conference workshop with Deanna Jones and Christina Grassman on conflict resolution. And this wasn't, this wasn't just the RSA process for helping conflict or resolve conflict. It, you know, it wasn't there. It was more about, you know, what you do, uh, to in, when you're in a situation and you're trying to resolve conflict. Now, obviously, the RSA conflict resolution is part, can be part of that process, but it was more a general conversation about how you'd address conflict. And they did a terrific job, really, really did an outstanding job. Uh, appreciate Deanna being there and appreciate Christine Grassman, uh, who's got a lot of expertise in mediation and conflict resolution, stepping outside of her normal role with RSA to participate in that workshop. And both of them were were, were great. I thought our, our keynote speaker to start with, Jen Coker, Koken, I did uh, C-O-K-E-N. She's an executive coach from Baltimore. 
she really hit the nail on the head when she said that uh, she was talking about that uh, we need to accept the facts. And when the facts that she was talking about were that the world is never going to be what it was before the pandemic. And, uh, you know, she wasn't saying that we have to accept things and not and the status quo and not try to change anything. But she said there are certain realities that we have to accept and then we have to we have to adapt and work around those realities. And the pandemic, which was ironic, she I don't know if she fully realized how much the pandemic meant to us and the impact it had. But uh, you know, we, we still have folks who have not accepted the reality that it's not going to go back to the way it was. So um, she, I thought her comments were, were, were right on target. Had a great agency panel. Bill Finley from Florida hosted that. James Hull uh, and Anna Kim, James Hull from Michigan and Anna Kim from Maryland. They did a, a, a great job on that panel. Uh, I, I, I accused James of, of running for political office after his after his presentation because he, he said some things that, I, that, that just blew me away. And uh, I think by the time he was through, every vendor in the in the room wanted him as their BEP director. But he talked about that, that, that it was an honor to to help blind vendors achieve their goal. And, you know, that that was sort of eye opening. And he, and he said that, you know, Michigan had gone more from a monitoring and compliance model to one that's focused more on growth. They want to support the vendors, um, you know, but they it, 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 it's sort of like they're getting away from the big brother model and looking at how they can how they can grow their program and help the uh, entrepreneurs be more successful with less a, a reliance on the bureaucra bureaucratic stuff and all of that stuff. So I thought, I thought it was, um, you know, one of the, you know, I, th I thought I did a terrific job. I've, I've talked many, many times about that very, very issue. And uh, to hear somebody else say, say that was really, really encouraging. I had a great presentation from Steve and Patty Closser on the micro markets. They spoke about the truth about micro markets and they addressed right off the bat, you know, all this talk about, theft and micro markets being 20% and all of that. And they admitted that there, that, you know, sometimes some, some mistakes may have been made and micro markets are put in places they shouldn't have been. And there could be isolated cases where you do have, um, you know, you, you, you know, that kind of theft. And when you do, you just have to take your equipment out. And if, you know, if you have people breaking into your vending machines constantly, you take the vending machines out with well, the same thing here. If you, if, if, if people are stealing, you take the, you just take it out. Um, he said, Steve made the point, you know, if theft was 20%, you wouldn't be seeing these large vending companies like Canteen invest tens of millions of dollars in micro markets. Uh, if the theft was, 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 was as high as, you know, some people, people were saying. They said that you can quadruple your sales. If you go from vending to a micro market, um, if you, you know, increase your product mix and, you know, provide higher priced items and higher quality items and uh, fresh foods and that kind of thing. Um, but if you just go from a vending machine to a micro market, uh, you're going to increase sales 20, 20 to 50%. So, uh, he said the go, this is something I had not heard that your, your, your average is on, in a micro market is, is you want to have 2.24. I think that's an interesting number, but 2.24 products per transaction, which you don't typically get in a vending machine. So in a micro market, you know, you're trying to get it, you know, over two, uh, two transaction or two products per transaction. And uh, I thought that was uh, very, very interesting. Um, I don't, there was talk, you know, but in 2020 when we had to cancel the, uh, blast we were going to do a micro market certification training in, in conjunction with that conference um, there's some talk about maybe bringing that back next year when we do blast no decision's been made on that so we will see uh, president mark riccobono was there and he talked about the museum that they are creating for the blind and sort of um, and, and and they're trying to raise 20 million dollars and it's a museum that's not going to focus just on the past but it's going to focus on the future too and it's going to it's going to be a model museum for all museums around the country on how uh, on inclusion 
and how to make museums accessible for the blind. So that's really the, one of the big goals in, 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 in this thing. So uh, wish them luck and uh, they're, they're raising money. And if you want to help with that cause, then reach out to the national office at the National Federation of the Blind, or you can get in touch with Nikki Gakos. Uh, governor Patterson, the 55th governor of New York, was there, and uh, he's the former governor. He talked about his experiences and his work with the NFB and you know, talked about the importance of overcoming uh, adversity, and it was great to have the governor there. We heard from Kirk Cornelson, who's with Sodexo, and um, really he gave us some sobering statistics uh, regarding the um, uh, recruitment of, of of military, and that obesity is a is a major issue in the army now, and it is the leading cause of uh, soldiers being dismissed from the army or, or dismissed from the military. Obesity is so that's pretty you know pretty sobering. Forty uh, percent of Americans are considered obese. And if you're obese, you cannot get into the military. So you, that, that, that tells you that 40% of your pool of eligible candidates have, have, have shrunk. So you have fewer people to choose from to get into the military. The Army has actually started, and I had not heard this, a pre-basic training. So you can sign up for this pre-basic training uh, to get into shape just to get you eligible to 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 actually enlist in the um, in in the in the mili- in the army, so uh, that was pretty pretty interesting. Um, I thought he did say that you know the the Air Force has already gone through a transformation in the way they they serve. The Navy sort of watching hasn't done a lot. Army is getting ready to do something, um, but he said the way that we serve our troops is going to change and we just need to accept that and figure out how Randall Shepard can be part of that. We heard from Demetria Summers at GSA. Uh, she's always available for us and a great partner. And we, we love it when she comes, she didn't have much to report on the work, you know, federal workers returning to the buildings. You know, she, she, she didn't hold out much in, in the way of that, but she did say that the federal government is, is uh, expecting to reduce its foot footprint. Uh, 53% uh, of the federal agencies are are going to require less space than they currently have uh, and fewer employees in the buildings. So with less space, fewer employees, that impacts decisions about food service. And there's going to need to be a really good partnership with uh, Randolph Shepard to see how to best address those food because those who are in the building want their food. It's important to them. And she stressed that point. She talked a little bit about the federal food guidelines and that they're voluntary and that the, the big focus right now, you know, the, the buzzword is sustainability. And one of the big focuses is on getting more uh, plant-based foods into the, in, in, into the um, uh, system. Sherry Evans from the post office spoke and, and, and she, uh, she re- reiterated the post office's commitment to Randolph Shepard she was a very appreciative of the training that NABM did in conjunction with RSA and NCSAB. Uh, Jesse Hartle and Christine Grassman were there from RSA, did a, a, a really great presentation. We had some lively conversation and debate. Um, Christine reported that they've that they've, they've done conflict resolution 15 times, and that's pretty good. And they've had 14 have actually achieved positive results. That's a pretty good batting average. Uh, and I think when we were uh, talking with the st- when the states were introducing themselves, Karen Jones from South Carolina, who's a committee chair, she spoke favorably of the process that uh, South Carolina had gone through with the Committee of Blind Vendors in Conflict Resolution, and she encouraged states to take advantage of it. So that's a good service that RSA is providing, and it seems like they are getting good results. They did give a few statistics that I'll hit on that were somewhere around 1,550 blind vendors when we closed out 2022. I know these numbers are a year old. We're just now closing out today, closing out 2023 officially. Um, But uh, the average income was $84,213. And that was inflated a little bit because a couple of states still had not uh, handed out their FRP money until after October 1, 2022. 
So that may have inflated it or 2021, I should say. So that may have inflated it just a little bit, but not a whole lot. Uh, Jesse reported that there was $40.7 million in federal funds spent on Randolph Shepard. However, there was 63 million of possible match of federal funds. So that means that there was $23 million that was either left on the table or VR took it and used it over in the VR program. Um, you know, that is legal. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, there are some concerns. We have lots of concerns about, about doing that. Uh, but, um, you know, we don't think that the, the, the BEP program, which is producing the money should suffer and, and be underfunded just in order to, um, um, to fund the VR program. And that's happening in a few States. Blind vendors provided $8.7 million of funding from their, their set aside. Jesse talked about something that sort of was a little bit of a surprise. He said the CDC is doing a study. And uh, as part of their study, they asked the question of how many vending machines on federal properties are actually being serviced by blind vendors. And the number came back was shocking. According to the CDC, only 22% of vending machines are actually being serviced by blind vendors. Now, we question that number, um, and but the, but the bottom line is it bothers us that the question is even being asked. Uh, why would you ask, you know, why does that question matter? Does it matter because we're saying this has an impact on blind vendors if they do healthy vending and all this stuff, and, and, and they can say there's only 22% of the machines that are serviced by blind vendors, so it's not going to impact them. Uh, are they saying that you know blind vendors are third partying out? You know what are you know what are they trying to get at here? Like I said, we question that figure at twenty two percent. We don't think that necessarily the federal agencies that were responding know whether the blind vendor or, or if it was an employee of the blind vendor that was uh, filling the machines. But still, like I said, just the fact that they're asking that question raises some concern. We had a lively conversation about third-party vending uh, with with RSA. A, a state has inquired with RSA, so they were a little hesitant to go into much detail uh, to discuss the um, the whole third-party issue. But they'll be responding to this state about third-party vending and what's allowed and what's not allowed. We think that um, uh, a lot of folks have misinterpreted the. Uh, the TAC 2102, which said blind vendors could third party. I think uh, some people have interpreted that to mean that they can just carte blanche do it third party anytime they want. And the agency can't do anything about it. Uh, don't think that's exactly what the, the, the was it the intent of the TAC, but uh, we shall see how they finally respond to the state who has inquired. We had uh, Michael Hogue from NAMA was there. And of course, their big issue that he was talking about was trying to get it to where uh, food stamps could be accepted in micro markets. And so that's something they've been working on now for a little while. And uh, so that was their uh, big issue that they, that they talked about, as long as some other legislation is happening on the state and federal level. So that pretty well sums up Blast. I didn't hit every speaker we had. I just want to hit the ones where, the, you know, where issues came up that I thought would be uh, of interest to you guys. Uh, in other news, uh, there has been conversations, on, you know, along the healthy vending line, and um, you know, as you know, the there was a potential executive order that was going to require seventy five percent of products in vending machines on federal property meet healthy guidelines. Uh, we had the CDC present at the training we did in conjunction with the NAMA show in Atlanta. Uh, and as a result, we connected the uh, NAMA folks and the CDC, and they started having a lot of really productive conversations. And I think Nikki may uh, have been involved to, to, to extent in some of those conversations. And so um, you know, the CDC has come around and instead of talking about um, you know, 75%, they want, they're looking at a planogram kind of approach to where, which they're calling the seven model. And that would be that the all healthy products would be placed in a 
configuration that makes a seven, meaning the top row, and then go from the top right to the bottom left of the machine, uh, which create makes a seven, if you can visualize a seven, and which amounts to about 33% of your of, of, of your machines. Uh 33% is you know probably higher than we would like, but um, you know, if 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 that's what it takes to avoid a 75% executive order, then I think it's a it would it would be a win-win. Um so this is not anything that is um um official. There's no agreement, there's no order, there's no policy. These are just conversations uh, that that they've been having and some some proposals that, that that are out there. Nikki and I will be having a meeting. Uh, we're supposed to be meeting in middle of October uh, with the newly appointed uh, Assistant Secretary of OSERS uh, Office of Special Education and Rehabilitation with the Department of Education. We reached out to her and requested a meeting. Now, we don't know whether the government shutdown is going to impact that or not, uh, but we are looking forward. We know that the, all the folks at RSA will be there, and um, so we're anxious to, uh, to, to to have a meeting and talk, and we're going to be frank in our conversations about where we believe that RSA has failed us, but the purpose of the meeting is is more to discuss collaboration and how we work together, how we move forward, how we protect the program, how we build the program. And so, uh, you know, that's that is our intent. So, yeah, we're going to go in and we're going to you know, be very honest and frank. But then, you know, the, our goal is to work together with RSA. We think that's, that, you know, we're all better off if we are working together with the state agencies, RSA and the blind vendors uh, all working in unison. We're not always going to agree, but we still need to be working together and communicating. Interesting case in the Supreme Court this year. There was a case, you know, we, we've always said arbitration panels, we know that courts have ruled arbitration panels cannot award damages against a, um, uh, against a state licensing agency. And the, but you can sue um, individuals um, in certain limited cases, if, and, and basically if they violate your civil rights somehow, such as a license, if they terminate your license without giving you due process, they can um, terminate that, you know, you could sue that individual and get damages. Now the state would step in and represent them and they'd end up paying whatever damages in most cases. But that was the only way that you could sue uh, an individual. This year, the Supreme Court ruled in a case that if a state employee violates a federal law or regulations, then they can be sued um, for damages, uh, a, what they call a 1983 claim. So if you have a, you know, a, a BEP staffer and they violate the Randolph-Shepard Act and you can show you were somehow harmed by that, then, then you can sue for damages. You may be able to sue for damages. Now, the first question I asked our attorneys was, if they violate the state rules, uh, would that constitute a violation? And the unofficial answer was no. It's going to have to be a specific violation of a federal law or a federal regulation, but that remains to be seen. Um, but I think it, uh, it, it, it just it opens the door just a little bit uh, to being able to, to get damages. Uh, good development in West Virginia and um, the West Virginia Agency with 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 our help, NABM's help, uh, has secured the contract for the um, a cafeteria at at the, at the Border Patrol in Harper's Ferry. They are partnering with Sodexo. That business has been up and running now for a couple of weeks now, and early returns are very very positive. And we're really happy for 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 West Virginia. We're really proud of West Virginia. I mean. The, the last the change in, in West Virginia in the last three, four uh, years has just been quite remarkable, um, you know, and, and we've been working with them. And as a result, you know, they've gotten an FBI cafeteria. They've gotten a military contract. They've got the Harper's Ferry contract. The, the vendors in the, are operating the rest areas now instead of third parties. 
just a lot and, and and there's you know they're not fighting all the time either which is a which is another thing so we're really proud of you know what the sla has done what the vendors have done in in in, in west virginia keep your fingers crossed everybody uh because um in mississippi uh they hope to have their first commissary inmate commissary they'll be the first if they get it they'll be the first state not named tennessee to be operating a jail commissary at the present time and this is a small commissary uh but there is a meeting next week for the uh, where hopefully the board of supervisors will approve it and they can move forward with with with, with starting to provide commissary service uh in this county jail and we're very very excited about that possibility because there's a lot of county jails in mississippi dorothy young is the director down there and she's pretty aggressive in going after these things um there are 11 other states that have priorities in county jails to operate the commissaries and we'd love to see them get aggressive and go after them as well you may have heard about the um, about Massachusetts passing the uh, the ban on single use plastic bottles. Um, you know the governor, you know, issued you know it's a, a first in the nation executive order uh, that bans state agencies from purchasing single use plastic bottles and requires agencies um, to limit the purchase use of and the sale of single-use plastic bottles on all state property and guess who serve who sells products on state property yep it's our blind vendors now <clears throat> it's unknown yet to you know what's the impact that this is going to have on the blind vendors because the executive order does say it does not apply when it is in conflict with an existing contract requirement um, so, you know, we would argue that a permit or an agreement um, for a vending facility operation that outlines the products to be sold is an existing agreement and therefore uh, is grandfathered in. But we'll see how all of that plays out. You never know. Uh, we've, we've um, I, I did not mention earlier, we did have a presentation from 8A at, uh, at Blast, and it was sort of funny. Uh, the person who is with the 8A is now, who used to be, Nikki Gakos, field consultant with the New Jersey Commission for the Blind. And Nikki did not realize he was with the Small Business Administration. It was all coincidence. <clears throat> and uh, so, so it's sort of like uh, they got to they got to get reacquainted, and he did a great job, Tim Burden. And but the 8A sort of under attack a little bit. You know, there was a there was a lawsuit in Tennessee, um, and. Um, um, and, and, and so the 8A sort of having to relook or rethink the way they do these contracts, all, all awards were put on hold until, uh, they had to do some additional documentation to verify that people were qualified and that thing. But, uh, there are, you know, you, you had the affirmative action ruling in the Supreme court last year. And so there are some, some of these set aside programs are, are, are sort of under attack, and in case you were wondering, yes, Randolph Shepard is a set aside program, so we are vulnerable. So, uh, you know, we need to be watching what happens to these other set aside programs if they start ruling that, you know, you can't you can't award federal contracts based on 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 race and and gender and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, what's to say that blindness is sh should be exempt as well? So, we got to watch those uh, the developments in 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 those areas. A little update on our WISE program, our women's initiative. You know, Nikki created that uh, that initiative back a few years ago. Uh, Melba Taylor heads that out, uh, heads heads that up. Uh, continue, you know, WISE continues to provide resources and support and guidance uh, to blind women business owners, and they've had several virtual trainings uh, over over the course of the last year, and uh, you know, encourage you to get involved with that. Uh, with, with that initiative and if you are interested you know reach out to melba uh, her email address is m.taylor at encore e-n-c-o-r-e-a-s-s-o-c.com um, m.taylor at encoreasos.com uh, so get involved with that women's initiative and you know, we're really proud of what they've been able to to do question for you is catering subject to the Randolph Shepard priority? 
uh, obviously the answer to that is is yes and um but um there was a situation in tennessee with the tennessee valley authority where the tva was allowing the blind vendor to do catering but was giving waivers and exceptions and 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 and, and that sort of thing to to folks uh, Brown, Ghostine, and Levy, Monica, uh, with them, uh, wrote a letter, a cease and desist letter to TVA to tell them to quit giving waivers. Um, and so <clears throat> we will see where that goes. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is um, that uh, catering is covered and the blind vendor should have the first right of refusal for any catering opportunities. <clears throat> uh, some. You know, we never talk about nominees, but we have four nominees in the news this time. So let me just hit on those very briefly. Let's start with Wisconsin. Lots of concern in Wisconsin about, uh, you know, between with with the Committee of Blind Vendors and the agency and the nominee. And uh, you sort of have a new regime of vendors that are now uh, in charge of the uh, who are, have been elected to serve on the committee. They are asking lots of questions that haven't been asked. And I think the agency and nominee are sort of maybe surprised by some of the questions are getting asked. Um, the, the committee feels there's not a lot of transparency. And so, you know, they're sort of filling each other out here. And um, I, I guess, it's, I guess the best way to describe it would be there's some tension there. NABM wants to be part of the solution there. We're not saying that the nominee's done anything wrong. We're not saying the agency has done anything wrong, but we do think there should be uh, you know, better communication and more transparency. We want to be part of the solution. Uh, I know I'll be talking to folks up there and Nikki will be there in person for their annual training conference. So maybe we can, we, we can help with that in, in some regard. Uh, just got to you know, get everybody on the same page up there and working in the same direction. Montana um, is sort of a, a unique situation because there are only five states who have nominee agencies and Montana is looks like they are bringing their nominee back in house. And this is against the wishes of the blind vendors. The blind vendors are happy with the nominee. They want to keep the nominee. And so uh, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a conflict there right now. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're, the lawyers are getting all lined up. So we'll see where, how, how, how that turns out. Uh, they only have three vendors up there. Uh, but they have a, a small nominee and the vendors are happy with it. The decision was made without the active participation of the vendors. All of them serve on the committee and it was made without their active participation. And so that was where the, where the problem started. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, as far as we know, North Carolina is still pursuing the idea of going with a nominee agency. So uh, no real new developments there. Uh, but they uh, they are still going down that road. Now the bad news. The bad news is that Chant Canuck, Canuck, the director of the nominee in Virginia, announced that he's retiring after the first of the year, and that is disheartening because you know that's the one state that does it right. They have a great program, a great relationship with the vendors. Um, we won't, you know, we have proposed or suggested to other states talk to them about uh, that organization coming in and actually doing um, the, uh, you know, serving as their nominee, not just Virginia's. So uh, don't know what the impact of that's going to be, but uh, wishing, uh, wishing Chant well. He had his second grandchild born and he wants to spend time with grandkids and having four grandkids of my own. I certainly understand that. Good news out of Kentucky, um, you know, Kramer Snyder, who is a blind vendor there. And uh, he if, if you read the Automatic Merchandiser magazine, uh, he was named as one of the 40 people in the industry under 40. I mean, 40 people, I guess you, you need to be watching. Uh, he is a licensed blind vendor in Kentucky. Uh, he operates a, a large full service cafeteria, a snack shop. He's got a a hybrid fresh market, a micro market and vending. The guy's busy, wouldn't you think, uh, operating all of that. Um, and so um, he's only been a blind vendor for five years, a great guy. We met him. He was the, uh, he most recently completed NABM's Emerging Leader Training Program uh, and a 
great young guy with a, with a lot of potential for the future. And we want to congratulate Kramer for being named one of the 40 under 40. Good job, Kramer. Um, on DOD issues, um, you know, always got to devote some time to DOD. You've heard us talk about our, you know, our proposed lawsuit against the exchange service, the Army Air Force Exchange Service. Uh, Lauren McClarney, our attorney, is still working on that. Uh, we're hoping that it gets filed in October. Uh, we'll, we, we, we shall see if that happens, um, but uh, that's certainly certainly the intent. Um, she did speak at blast on the lawsuit and laid out uh, you know the legal reasons why we are right and AFES is wrong. And um, so uh, you know legally we're in a very strong position. The question is whether the courts will will hear the case because of whether or not we have standing. So um, you know it's a Hail Mary and we're you know every now and then, Somebody catches one of those passes, just ask Doug Flutie. And so we got, there's always a chance. Arizona is in the news, man. A lot of, lot of stuff happening in Arizona all of a sudden. Uh, we talked about Fort Huachuca last time. The, the agency was ruled out of the competitive range. Uh, and it was a strange uh, ruling. They were out of the competitive range because they felt they were understaffed. I've never heard of that happening before. The state went to get an injunction. Andy Freeman and 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 Neil Lana Johnny Lani. Uh, sorry, Neil, I screwed that up. Um, but anyway, they got they they were in federal court um, in um, and, and were successful in getting an injunction. So Randolph Shepard gets to hold on to it till it goes to arbitration. The uh, Army recently just issued a one year contract with a one year option to give time for the arbitration to be completed. This arbitration is moving pretty quickly as both panel members and the panel chair have already been uh, selected. So I could see, you know, I could see a hearing happening not long, you know, after the first of the year. So uh, good luck out there to Arizona on that one. Arizona was also awarded uh, a contract for full food service uh, at the Western Army Aviation Training Site. Um, congratulations on that. They're doing it without a teaming partner. It's not a huge, huge contract, but still it's a good contract and congratulations for, for getting that one. Not so good news on Luke Air Force Base. Luke Air Force Base is, is a contract that went to Ability One five years ago and um, the agency passed on it yeah, uh, or, or would not challenge and, and would not challenge it. Uh, when when they wanted to award it to uh, the Ability One agency, and so it went to Ability One, was put on the procurement list, um, and now five years are up, and the agency is now interested in now picking it up. They reached out to RSA, and it looks like RSA is not going to get involved, and so um, uh, unfortunately, uh, it looks like that one may be gone that they're not going to be able to get that one there was a you know the memorandum of understanding between rsa and ability one but that this predates that so it's not going to be a very much help got three states that are um, involved in direct negotiations for to to extend their contracts or get new contracts i won't name those states because since the negotiations are ongoing but we are optimistic that uh those, uh, the, you know, those will produce results. And when we report back in January, that all three of those will have resulted in a contract for the SLA. Some big contracts still out on bid. Benning in Georgia, the largest contract in the country, uh, is, is up. And I know that uh, uh, Wayne Dye and Bob Matusak and BCI do a great job down there. Uh, they are very optimistic that they that that they are going to get a renewal down there, and we're we're hoping so because that's sort of the 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 flagship station, so to speak, uh, for but as the largest military dining contract in the country. So uh, keeping an eye on that one. Excited about the potential at Fort Knox, man. That was a disaster up there, and without going through the history of everything that went on, the SLA had it, lost it. It was a disaster. The Army called in Southern Food Services on an emergency basis, and uh, Southern uh, got it cleaned up. The Army was very appreciative, really liked Southern, and so um, it came out for solicitation, and the Army 
uh, re, uh, I mean, uh, Southern Foods is partnering with the SLA this time. And we're very optimistic that that contract will be back under Randolph Shepard very soon. You could almost say ditto at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. Uh, the SLA had it at one time. It was awarded to another company. That company, uh, who happened to be the same company that was at Fort Knox, uh, ran into problems. It was a disaster. They called on the Army, called on Southern Food to help them out um, in an with an emergency contract, and and now it is back being solicited after a couple of years. And the Southern Food Service, who's a great Randolph Shepard partner, uh, is bidding with the SLA this time. And based on what a good job they've done there, we're very optimistic that they will get that contract and get it back into Randolph Shepard, which we've, we've had that one. We had that one for a long time. So uh, good news there. Fort Campbell in Kentucky, as I understand, I think that one, this solicitation is still going um, and with no news to report. The next big one coming up will be Fort Jackson in April in South Carolina. Um, and that one will be happening in, um, I don't know whether they get an extension or not. The, R, the RFP could come out uh, anytime. You know, we talked about Fort Jackson, Nikki and I did last time, and the fact that 10 blind vendors were being assigned to that contract. Uh, when, when we had RSA at Blast, we, we talked about that in, in great detail. Let's just say there were some intense conversations with RSA along, along the lines of the 10 vendors and the fact that RSA gave passive approval for them to move forward. Um, the facts that RSA said was presented to them are different than the facts that we understand them to be. So, um, you know, we don't know where the breakdown in communication is. Um, you know, our issue has all along been that, that, that you, know, you are to create entrepreneurial opportunities and jobs and South Carolina is not doing that. And, um, you know, RSA was under the impression that they were doing that. So I don't think if you can't, if you're encouraged not to be on the base and only one vendor's on the base and has an office, you're not creating 10 real jobs, but we can debate that. And uh, maybe we'll have the South Carolina folks on at some point to, to have that conversation with us and sort of tell us their rationale uh, for doing that. But um, some other news in the DOD arena in Alaska, uh, Fort Wainwright, um, you know, the, the, they had arbitration going there and, um, you know, they settled that in light of the uh, federal court ruling, uh, you know, in the, in that district saying that the priority applies to, um, to full, to dining facility attendant serve contracts. So that arbitration was settled. We're expecting that bid out just any day now for, uh, for, 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 and the Alaska will be able to bid on that. The army, uh, transformate form from little, sorry about that. The army, uh, food innovation transformation, uh, initiative is still going. Uh, we don't know what's happening exactly, uh, you know, there were five bases that were supposed to be part of that prop program. They reduced it to one, and we were told it was going to be a pilot at just Fort Bragg. And then we were just told just this week uh, that there may be actually two bases. So we will have to see about that. But that initiative is moving forward, and we need to be part of that. Nikki and I have had a number of conversations with Ability One. Um, and uh, Service Source, which is a nonprofit that works under Ability One, who has a lot of experience in food service. They are interested in working closer with Randolph Shepard. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're saying all the right things, but we'll see where, 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 where those conversations lead. But, you know, Nikki and, uh, is always willing to talk and listen and explore new ways to do things and explore new ideas. And so that's all we have been doing. We will be putting them in touch with the state agencies here uh, as the next step to that process. Um, the um, other thing that I don't know, you, many of you already know this and have heard about the, that, that a lot of the bases are being renamed and it's going to be, it's going to be a learning curve for me because it's going to be really hard for me. You know, you can't teach old dog new tricks. 
But uh, the, you know, the army is changing a lot of the base names because some of them are named after Confederate uh, uh, army figures. And so they're required, they're, they've gone back and they've changed those. The ones that affect us where we have the uh, military, con where we have the dining contracts, Fort Benning will now be Fort Moore. Fort Gordon will now be Fort Eisenhower. Fort Bragg will now be Fort Liberty. Fort Lee is now Fort Greg Adams. And Fort Rucker is now Fort Novacell. And if I, I may have mispronounced that, but if I did, I am sorry. The cost to the government to do these name changes is only $60 million. Um, so, um, uh, but Benning will always be Benning and Bragg will always be Bragg and Lee will always be Lee. I just got to get it changed in my brain that, 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 that those names uh, have changed. The... Um, Last DOD thing, uh, we reported that the uh, Ohio was had filed for arbitration um, and, uh, against uh, the Air Force. Two issues there are one involves the exchange infringing upon their rights. Uh, the second one involves on the requirement that the vendors pay for utilities. Those That's a very, very, very important case for us to be watching. And I think the panel is in the process of being seated. So it'll be probably after the first of the year before that panel actually um, you know, gets started. Last year, we tried to get um, the innovation grants. The, you know, we told you that the, uh, the state agencies turned back $270 million. We wanted 10% of that for innovation grants for Randolph Shepard. We came so close, we thought we had it. Uh, Department of Education sort of killed it. And uh, because they claim they didn't have enough staff to administer it. Well, this year, the federal government has turned back, uh, the states have turned back $300 million. So how's that? Um, and um, we had gone back to Congress. We got zero traction this year um, to, to, try to, to try to do something different. So um, there will be language in the appropriations bill about working with blind vendors, but um um, you know, as far as getting the 10% that like we wanted, that's not going to be there. Um, as you can tell with all the stuff going on with the budget, that that's way down the list of priorities. And, you know, the Republicans can blame the Democrats and the Democrats can blame the Republicans. But caught in the middle of that is we got zero chance of getting our language in about the innovation grants. So, but we will try that next year. Some director news. Oklahoma has a new director. He's an interim director, Chris Brenneman. Uh, 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 he, he was at Blast. It was great to get to, to meet him. Oregon has an acting or interim in Michael Wolf. Eric Morris, who had been there for many years, has uh, uh, moved on to another position in state government. I don't know whether I ever did recognize Rachel Holland as the director in Delaware. Um, I don't think I did, but Rachel took over up there, um, you know, earlier this year uh, and is really doing a great job. Uh, Louisiana, Stephen DeBrule, the BEP director, is retiring uh, later in October and they already have his replacement. And how's that? That's so unusual for state government. Uh, but Neil Ellington is the new director uh, will be the new director when Steve officially retires uh, later this month. And um, so look forward to working with Neil down there in Louisiana. Still a lot of vacancies in the BEP director uh, ranks. Uh, Hawaii is still vacant. Mississippi's vacant. Illinois, North Carolina, D.C., uh, Arkansas. So still some opportunities out there if you're, you know, if you're interested in getting into administration and we're probably anticipating a couple more retirements coming up here for too long. I want to mention real quickly, um, you know, that uh, in Tennessee had a vendor pass away, Ray Mowry. He was probably the longest tenured uh, vendor in the country. Uh, he had 68 years, I believe, uh, seniority uh, with the uh, Tennessee Business Enterprise Program. He passed away um, in early September. And, um, you know, Ray, he was in his, I think he was 86. Don't hold me to that. Um, Ray went to work on Monday, uh, was in the hospital on Tuesday, passed away on Wednesday, and was uh, was was due to get a lifetime achievement award in uh, in in Tennessee, but um, uh, you know passed away. So we had to present it to him uh, posthumously. Um, so um, 
I'd, I'd be curious here from the States, you know, who's, who's your longest tenured vendor? 68 years. That's a long time. You know, what, what's your longest? So, so let us hear from you about that. We're going to uh, wrap up here just a second, a little bit of industry news. You know, we talked about the Amazon style self-service concessions. Uh, interesting. We read that the Seattle Seahawks have now had one of those at their football stadium. So if you go to game to see the Seahawks, you can go to an unattended market. Also, to just give you a heads up, new DOL proposed rules, uh, you know, make it a lot harder for um, uh, for or, or makes it requires you to pay overtime for any folks working over uh, forty hours um, a week um, if they make less than fifty. Uh, $55,068 per year. So if you got an employee and you got them on salary uh, and you say, you know, it doesn't matter how many hours you work, this is what you make. If they're making less than $55,068 and they work over 40 hours, you're going to have to pay them uh, overtime. Currently that, that, that is uh, $35,568. So it's going up 20, $20,000 a year. So, uh, keep that in mind, you know, if, if you have uh, employees that you have on um, uh, on salary. Uh, also, um, HHS has proposed a rule requiring kiosks to be accessible. And as I understand it, these are the healthcare and human service kiosks um, and that um, the access board will be looking at other kiosk accessible issues. Uh, and we're watching this, you know, because for blind people in general, we think kiosks could be accessible. We face kiosk every single day. It seems like uh, you know, you know, just part of our routine daily life. But in particular for Randolph Shepard, you know, what impacts it going to have on micro markets and their accessibility? So uh, stay tuned for for that. Upcoming events: We got the National Association for Convenience Stores. Uh, it's a huge show in Atlanta. Just that's coming up next week. The ACE Conference is October 12th through the 14th in Myrtle Beach. And that, that's a that's a nice show there. The Coffee, Tea, and Water Show is November 6th and 7th in Indianapolis. So that's a little bit of what's coming up. So that brings us to the end of our podcast and our blitz. And I hope you found this information interesting and helpful. If you have any questions about anything that I have presented here today, then please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, we enjoy bringing you the We Are Randolph Shepherd podcast. Look forward to having Nikki back with me next month uh, when we will drop on November the 1st. So until then, hope everybody has uh, a great month of October. Have a great Halloween, and we will talk to you later. Goodbye. The We Are Randolph Shepherd podcast would like to thank our sponsors, the National Association of Blind Merchants, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Sodexo, You Select It, Southern Food Service, Tyler Technologies, Anderson Food Service, RSA Management Group, and Sightline Wealth Management. If you would like to support the We Are Randolph Shepherd 